It's football commercial season. Become a USA Today Ad Meter panelist and watch and rate the big game commercials. You'll be entered to win a trip to the big game in 2022 just for registering. Sign up now and see official rules at admeter.usatoday.com. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. All right, it's here, everybody. Super Bowl 55, week of. Uh, this is the counter. And we're going to talk a little bit about the game. We're going to get into uh, the analytical side of it. We brought the nerds on. Uh, we finally, uh, the big thing is we've answered the question of who Steven favors, the nerds or the film grinders. He's giving the film guys the uh, the last word, so uh, he's sticking it to the nerds, I think. I'm uh, Chris Corman, an editor for The Win, joined by Steven Ruiz and Charles McDonald our football writing staff. We are deep into uh, trying to cover this game and figure out what's going to happen. How are you guys feeling? How, how, what's, what's the mood? What's, it's, it's different this year. It's supposed to be media day today, and it's just like Zoom calls. So it's One more week. <laughs> right. I like I like the the toned down Super Bowl week. Like yeah, it's kind of fun. I didn't even realize Media Day was happening until I started to see the the little Twitter videos with the people with the Gatorade backgrounds. And they they have like their Super Bowl jumpsuits that they always wear. Do they send those out to each player? I'm interested in the logistics behind that. Mm. Oh. Yeah, I I think the NFL is pretty good at branding things. I don't know if you notice this, but like that's that's a thing that they do well. Uh, do you think anyone got like like a lineman got a jumpsuit and it like didn't fit? Nah, they're they're probably pretty good at that too. Isn't that well well oiled? Everything. I mean, this is, this is a league that played through like I don't know three hundred thirty COVID <laughs> cases. Like I think they can probably figure out the logistics of what size sweats people wear. So, well, if it didn't fit, they would just pretend like it did fit and just go ahead with the conference anyway. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, it is. It is kind of a nice week that that some of the usual hubbub is not able to percolate the way it does. And like, I don't. Maybe we'll focus on the actual football a little bit. Uh, yeah, I know. I know we will probably. Yeah, it, it's uh, weird. Like, it, it, like this. The season. The end of the season feels weird because. You know, usually there's a Pro Bowl, and obviously they didn't have it this year, and it's replaced by some Madden tournament. And then, you know, like you guys said, I, I forgot that it, it was Super Bowl media day today until I see, you know, pictures of Tom Brady and Andy Reid uh, on, on my computer. I'm like, oh, wait, I forgot. Like, that's usually going on this week, and it's just not happening at all. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's different, but uh, I, I think by the time we get, like, close to the end of the week and get to the game, like, it'll start to feel like, you know, a normal – normal Super Bowl week. And I mean, I'm, I'm excited for the matchup uh, and we got a, a nice way to, to kick off the festivities with the, uh, the trade between the uh, Lions and the uh, Rams. Yeah. That was the big news of the week. We're going to we'll give you our little breakdown of that. Uh, a preview of the show. We're going to have uh, Namita Nandakumar, uh, who actually works for the Seattle Kraken. She, uh, the, the expansion hockey team, but has previously worked for the Eagles and uh, wrote, about the, uh, the the four teams that advanced the championship games for 538. So she has some interesting thoughts. And then Keegan Abdu uh, of Next Gen Stats is here to break down and, and sort of focus in on some of the trends that he noticed. Uh, so we will dig in on this game. And uh, one thing I think 
sort of emerged from this, from both of our conversations uh, was, you know, this key matchup between the Tampa Bay defensive line and the Chiefs uh, bedraggled offensive line, you know, just bedraggled. Yeah. Injury riddled. Uh, Lots of, lots of guys out. So that is, you know, I think a matchup that we're going to be continuing to talk about and we'll, get into on Thursday, we're going to switch over and have those, those film guys, Nate Tice and Deontay Lee are, are scheduled to join us. And we'll talk a little bit more about specific matchups. So that's sort of how we're going to approach this game. Uh, and that's sort of our coverage is laid out for the week is looking at some of those things. Uh, but let's get to this trade. Let's, let's talk about what was it? Saturday night. The, the Saturday Matthew night, Stafford. Yeah, it, it happened quickly. Uh, Matthew Stafford and the Lions agreed that a trade should happen. And uh, funny enough, the new Lions GM, Brad Holmes, who used to work for the L.A. Rams, uh, immediately made a deal for Jared Goff. Uh, clearly, Goff is not the centerpiece. Uh, in fact, the, the the Rams probably had to add draft capital capital to get Goff into the deal. Um, but Matthew Stafford is now going to be running that Sean McVay offense. And, it, you know, it's a clear move by the Rams to to push in on a guy they think can, can get them to the next level. Uh, what are your immediate thoughts here? What were your takeaways? And, and you know, this this thing has been kicked around a lot. I, I, I certainly immediately thought like, oh, wow, pretty big upgrade for the Rams. I mean, there's going to be a significant difference here, but you know, smart people have pushed back against that. So I'm wondering what you guys are thinking. I'm excited uh, for the Rams and I'm excited for McVay because, you know, you finally get a quarterback that has a little bit more physical prowess than, than Jared Goff. And now, you know, I don't, I don't think we're getting like, you know, physical, the, the peak of, of Stafford's like physical prowess, but uh, it's still an upgrade over what Goff was doing. And I think that, you know, that's something that the Rams has kind of been wanting for uh, a couple of years now. And they, you know, and it's a risk. Like trading this for Stafford is uh, definitely a risk. And they kind of put themselves in this position to have to make that trade because of the Jared Goff contract. But uh, I, I just kind of look at it like the Rams window is right now. And like if you like, yeah, if you uh, keep running back with Jared Goff, like you keep those picks, but you're still kind of in the same spot where your quarterback's not good enough to to make that play and get you over the hump, uh, which is what they desperately wanted to avoid. So uh, I, I like the move in terms of upgrading. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a decent sized sacrifice to make, but if you think that this is what you need to get uh, that Lombardi trophy that has been eluding you for a couple of years now, then then go for it. Uh, and you know the way that another way that I was thinking about it was. You know, if if Stafford can do all just the baseline things that golf could do, like that that you know, play when it's clean, you know, play action passing when everything's easy for you. If he can just do that, then I think this will be a pretty pretty nice upgrade for the Rams because he has like that arm strength and and uh, uh, the ad lib factor that golf just didn't have at all. Yeah. So- Oh, I want to mention the uh, I want to mention the the picks because I think I forgot to say it, but uh, the Lions are getting a third round pick this year and then first round picks in 2022 and 2023 uh, since the Rams had already dealt their first round pick for this year, uh, which is it seems to be the plan. You know, they uh, they 
and golf was their last first round pick, right? Uh, <laughs> they've just, they've, they, they clearly less need things like, Hey, if we're going to finish uh, high and then therefore our pick is later in the first round, like we're okay giving that away to try to get better and, and get guys like Jalen Ramsey and Matthew Stafford. Um, so uh, sorry, Steven, what, what were you about to say? I was going to say, and this might turn into a rant against the nerds, which is Uh-oh. which really isn't fitting. You're, you're going to the rant the when they're not when they're not on when they when you're not going to give them a chance to rebut. I feel like we we view all of these deals, and maybe I'm guilty of this too. We I feel like we view them in a vacuum where we're looking at like in a vacuum trading two first round picks and a third round pick for Matthew Stafford at this point in his career probably doesn't make any sense. But when you're the Rams and you've invested so much into this roster and the future is the future has already been burned to the ground already based on their prior <laughs> roster moves. Why? I don't understand how it makes sense to make a long term or, you know, a forward looking move and saving those picks and, and rolling with Jared Goff because you're just going to tread water at nine and seven or ten and six. I like the high variance move here. I think it makes sense. Nerds are always talking about how, oh, throwaways on third down are, are worse than interceptions because you want that high variance because you want, you, you know, something good might happen if you throw it into coverage rather than throwing it out of bounds. This is the same situation for me. Like the Rams are screwed anyway. Their future is screwed. Hmm. Take a chance on Matthew Stafford, who I think is a clear upgrade over Jared Goff. And I'm not even really a Matthew Stafford fan. Yeah. And – I think it, I mean, it's in the possible range of outcomes that this works out and you get like a Matt Ryan with Kyle Shanahan type effect. I don't know if it's going to be to that level, but I think it's possible. Like Stafford is that talented of a quarterback and he's in this offense that just takes the mental burden off him. And I think that just hides all of his weaknesses as a quarterback and accentuates his strengths. And I think we're going to see the best possible Stafford that we could possibly see. I like this metaphor you got going. So the Rams are it's like third and nine and less need is Jameis Winston. He is just let the ball go. We don't know where it's going to end up, but he, he is firing it in there. Right. And, uh, and and keeping Jared Goff is being Derek Carr on fourth down and throwing it away. <laughs> like right. throw it into coverage. At least do something. Don't like be Jameis. Channel Jameis right. Winston. Jared Goff, <laughs> is, Jared Goff is a Derek Carr fourth down throwaway. <laughs> I think that Stafford just gives McVeigh more options on what to do. And I think that it will help McVeigh also to not have, or, or maybe, maybe this is just the way, just the way McVeigh wants to operate, but I think it will help McVeigh to have a quarterback where he doesn't need to just, you know, kind of hold his hands before yeah. all snap. Like I think that veteran presence will help him out. And I think they should be able to just put together pretty good offense. Like, I, 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 I could see, uh, the Rams are getting a big boost from their pass offense just because we know McVay is a good coach. And for my, for, for me, it's like if Jared Goff can have a year where he puts up a top five passing offense, like why not Matthew Stafford with Sean McVay? Uh, and and I just, it's just fun to think about the possibilities of Stafford. And, and you know, I want to be clear with this. Like I'm, I'm not the biggest Stafford fan. I don't think he's a great quarter, like a super great quarterback. I've gotten to squabbles with line Twitter in the past about how I think Stafford's kind of overrated, but, in this situation, it's just so perfect for him. Where, like, you have an off, you have an offensive coach that's knows exactly where the ball needs to go, when plays need to be called. You're going to have a, a pretty good offensive line. Uh, it seems like they've been able to figure out uh, at least how to to get a decent running game in the post Todd Gurley years. I mean, this this is the best situation that Stafford has played with since 
he was thrown into like prime Megatron. And I think that it's just kind of a good marriage all around just for, you know, the Rams in this year. I mean, we'll, we'll see how they continue to stack their roster because they're going to have uh, some pretty tough cap decisions in the coming years. But I think for this year, it's a it's a pretty shrewd move. And I, I feel like a, like the shine has come off of Sean McVay's offense over the last couple of years, and people have kind of pointed to that as the reason for Jared Goff's regression. But I think it's not really that Sean McVay hasn't been able to adapt. I think he just hasn't had the means to adapt. When you have a quarterback like Jared Goff, there's only so much you can do. Like, what is he supposed to do when your quarterback right. can only throw play action cross or deep over routes? You can't build a whole offense off out of that. Well, they did in 2018. Defenses adjusted. They started to catch on. And Jared Goff gives you no second option. He gives you no plan B. Stafford at least gives you a plan B. McVay's offense in Washington looked very different from what it looked like in Los Angeles when he had Kirk Cousins, who isn't isn't the best quarterback. He isn't a world beater at quarterback, but I think he can actually think and he knows how to get through a progression. And that you could see what that offense looked like with when Sean McVay had a quarterback he can trust. Right. I mean, that's the big question. We talked about it when Wofford, John Wofford walked in like he's not nearly as good as golf but he brought a different dimension he could run the ball his second option was that uh he was athletic enough to to make plays uh stafford is just you know he's operated a little bit in obscurity he's played in three playoff games like the the lions have just been as mediocre as can be for his entire career uh but i I think it's pretty clear that he brings uh, like you said, that processing power that is going to make him have a second option. And, you know, Charles said earlier, like, oh, McVeigh won't have to hold his hand as much. But there's also the possibility that him holding Stafford's hand leads to something even better. <laughs> you know, like right, that, right. That, uh, that that sort of guidance and him creating those open routes works better for a guy like Stafford who's going to work through it more. So uh, I think we're all excited to see how it goes. Do the, uh, do the Lions pick a QB at seven? this year if one of them is there if trey lance is trey lance i don't know because i think that i kind of feel like the lions just gonna go we're going full rebuild we're gonna figure out the core of this team and then uh in 2022 and 2023 we have extra first round picks to get the ammo to get a qb if we need to like i i i don't think that they're gonna take a quarterback uh in the first round they can get they can get a wide receiver to like that's what they need to be there. Uh, right. They need to get a wide receiver because I mean, literally all their guys are about to be uh, right. free agents. Free agents. Uh, Marvin yeah. Jones, Damian Bella, Muhammad Sanu, Kenny Galladay, Jamal Agnew, all in the free agent market for this year. Uh, <laughs> that's so, wild. I like Jared Goffman, dude. Good luck. Jeez, <laughs> how ugly is this going to look? It's going to look like what was his rookie year? Twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Yeah, it's going to look like that. I think. I mean, who, who is a who has a better? Well, I guess golf's actually in a play, and Carson Wentz is probably going to end up on the bench. But uh, it's insane that that's where, like, oh, oh, the Lions should try to acquire Carson <laughs> Wentz. Oh man, just keep picks, cap for this year, and get uh, yeah. Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. Oh my god! But yeah. this year for Jared Goff, I mean, did anyone expect him to succeed in this in this spot? Like, like. They're I don't know. Dan, Dan Campbell team. probably has something up his sleeve, man. Uh, he's got yeah. some, some I mean, Dan, wizardry. And it, but based on the trade, it's not like the Lions are particularly high on golf because they took they had no. to take the pick to get the contract. So 
I, I just I, I feel like this might honestly be Jared Goff's last year as a full time starter. Yeah. The next offseason, then he becomes like, you know, Matt Schaub 2.0 or something. Yeah. Chad Henney. <laughs> Jared Goff is going to run for 15 yards on the key third down <laughs> ten, in 10, 10 years. years. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, like. Did you see the the quote of Jared Goff saying like it just feels good to be a yeah. place I, that I, where I'm wanted and it's that's like to me that's like you know you're like trying to go out when you're in high school and your parents are like yeah you got to bring your little brother along like Jared Goff's that little brother that thinks he's like cool and like he's hanging out with his brother's friends and that's Jared Goff right now very sad I feel like I feel like this turn just turned into therapy and you you got a lot of things that you need to talk about from your your high school growing up time man you all right man. <laughs> I'd rather not talk. You want you guys want to talk about Fox cartoons? <laughs> so I deal with it. Oh man! All right, but perfect yeah, I mean, segue. Oh, yeah. go ahead, Chuck. I was about to say, like anyone that is watching the Detroit Lions games next year, I just want better for you, man. Like you, you, you have to know what this is about. To Do something you. else on Thursday, you know, on Thursdays or Sundays or Mondays. Yes, yeah. like if, if you're a Lions fan, thinking that this is a team that's going to win games. I think you need to take a step back and look at the bigger picture here. Like you're, you have officially punted the 2021 season in hopes of getting something better, like two or three years from now. So I, I wouldn't even waste my time watching. Uh, that's the approach I took as a Panthers fan this year. I, oh, yeah. I, I did not pay attention. Yeah. I want to ask yeah. you about this because it was rumored that the Panthers were offering the number eight pick to line after. Is that too much for you? Uh, see, I, I I understand why Panthers fans wouldn't have liked that trade. I do think he would be a massive upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater. And just based on what we saw of this offense, like they have weapons and they have a smart offensive coordinator in Joe Brady. So I think it would have worked out for them and their offense would have been miles better with Stafford. And I don't really think that eighth pick is going to be useful because they're not going to be able to get Trey Lance. And that's really the wish for Panthers fans right now. And if they're not going to get a quarterback, I really don't care about trading it for a guy like Stafford because they're probably going to waste the pick anyway. They they wasted their top 10 pick on a nose tackle last year. So, yeah, yeah I'd rather them trade back and, and get more picks. But if they don't do that, then whatever. Use it on Matthew Stafford if you want. Right. So you're convinced Lance won't fall that far? No, I think teams are going to see him throw and then that's going to be enough. Like if they if Justin Herbert and I know Justin Herbert has turned out to be great and he looks like a future star, but if Justin Herbert, based on his college tape, can go in the top five or whatever he went, then I think Trey Lance definitely is going to go because I think his tape is better than Herbert's tape was in college. Yeah, and I, I feel like the NFL. Uh, I, I also think like over the past couple of years, guys like Josh Allen and Justin Herbert might open the doors for Trey Lance to go high in this draft. Yep. Because, uh, you know, you're just kind of taking the dice roll on unpolished athletic freaks, which I, I think Trey Lance is. Like, his running skills are insane. His arm strength is insane. Uh, and you just kind of let them – you kind of let the natural physical talent figure itself out. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think he's going to go pretty high. And, and just to bring it full circle, like, I think guys like Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff have shown that if you can just get a thrower in there that – and you can let the coach do the rest of the heavy lifting, then it, you can put up some good numbers. And I think Trey Lance is a quarterback who has a higher ceiling than those two guys, but I, it's a similar situation. Put him in a play-action heavy offense, and I think he's going to eat. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. Well, let's uh, let's turn our attention to the Super Bowl and bring in Namita and get these conversations started. Uh, and hope you guys enjoyed them. 
All right, now we're going to bring in Namita Nandukumar, uh, the senior quantitative analyst for the Seattle Kraken. She formerly held a quantitative analyst job with the Philadelphia Eagles. Namita, my main question for you is, uh, Stephen refers to you guys collectively as the nerds. Uh, and I'm wondering, like, is that okay with you? Is that Oh yeah, I, I call myself a huge nerd all the time, um, and and whatever. Like, it, it's great because, like, when I do other nerdy stuff, and like my coworkers or friends call me out on it, I'm like, we are a community of people who put math into sports. Like, there is no nerdy moral high ground here. We just gotta accept it. What a way to, that's like a good way to ruin anything. It's just adding math to it. Like, like we're watching movies or something. You're like, yeah, let me add some physics. Let me analyze this Marvel movie with physics. <laughs> you know, this fun thing that we all love and think is like a break from everyday life. I'm just putting math into it all the time. <laughs> that's awful. And I, I take uh, issue with Corman's question. Now, like, I'm the only person that refers to them as the nerds. I feel like that's a thing that everyone calls them. I don't know. You're so like you. you there's you never mentioned like a specific nerd. You just like herd them together because it would just it would just it would just the be PFF Moo every time. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he's like my favorite nerd to cite just because of his name. <laughs> Maybe that's what the nerds need to do. You're saying this while I'm on the podcast. Yeah, that was that was oh, rough, Stephen. Very that's lack lack of awareness, man. She doesn't write about the NFL all that much. She wrote once. It was, <laughs> look it, at look at where it I was, got her. I'll got say the guest spot on this this wonderful podcast. I'll say this: it was better than anything PFF Moo has ever written. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, that's, I'm just I'm just I'm just messing around. Uh, are you? <laughs> Hard to tell. All right, the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. Super Bowl Fifty Five. So, Demita, you wrote uh, prior to I guess this was before the championship games. The Bucks defense dares opposing offenses to pass, so they do. This appeared over at five thirty-eight. You guys should all find it. Uh, we were hoping to dig in on this with you. Now that we know that the Bucks defense uh, defensive approach continued to work. Uh, it has taken them all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, so w- we are just like uh, wondering about these two teams, uh, specifically the defenses. Uh, it seems like maybe they take opposite approaches at solving the problems. The Bucks uh, have this run defense that, uh, you know, they're able to stop the run a certain way and the Chiefs are sort of creative in how they are stopping the pass. Uh, what have you what did you learn researching this story uh, about how these teams are put together and what works for a defense? You know, we talk so much on this show about offenses are ever changing and they're so complicated and they're evolving. But uh, the defenses have to account for that. So what did you learn as you looked at, at this I- information? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, it was always something that kind of interested me, even sort of in my former life as uh, an NFL team analyst, uh, because, you know, I'll just keep this like incredibly broad. So like, no one comes after me. (laughs) But um, I I feel like the Eagles were always very strong in the trenches, you know, when I was there. And then um, there were times when the secondary, for one reason or another, was weak, whether it was because of injuries or whatever else. Uh, and, And I just kind of always felt like 
you know, we might not get the full benefit of uh, this great D line if, if teams are going to pass on us all the time. Um, and also kind of seeing, although this was never like my primary uh role, but just seeing, you know, the amount of work that goes into game prep every week. I'm like, well, you know, if you're clearly like lopsided defensively in that way, you know, teams are going to notice, right? Like there's so much preparation that goes into um, every NFL game that it it feels like something that is probably sort of a a real effect that we can see. Um, But also, uh, you know, I, I feel like Previously, I used to work more on like the personnel side, so I never really like looked into this that much. And then now um, that I'm a a commoner like everyone else, I was like, well, you know, I still have the data to look into this question. Um, So what does it mean to have a good run defense? What does that incentivize against you? And it it turns out, yeah, the answer is that it does incentivize um, a decent amount more passing, even after you count for, you know, game situations and stuff like that. So are the Chiefs going to run more than 10 times on Sunday against this bug? <laughs> I mean, I don't see why they would, but. Yeah, I mean, they shouldn't. And, I, and you know, the last time they faced off, the, the Chiefs were pretty pass heavy. So I imagine that will <laughs> happen again. And and this is where, you know, when I wrote the article and, you know, I'll, I'll fully admit, like, I thought this would not go well for Tampa to incentivize Aaron Rodgers to pass more than he usually does. But, you know, they got out of there with a win. So kudos to them. But I think incentivizing Patrick Mahomes to pass more than he <laughs> usually does is even on another level of like potential insanity. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I feel like we're bordering on a Aaron Rodgers isn't elite take there (laughs) 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 i think i mean this is where like and i I might just get on a whole tangent but like it's fine to say that like a quarterback like wasn't that great last year and was good this year you know like everyone gets so pissed off they're like oh well before you didn't think he was that good and it's like yeah because he wasn't playing that well (laughs) when he started playing well so that's what we're recognizing now um it's fine to just adapt your opinion with the passage of time. And I think Aaron Rodgers had a very good season this year. <laughs> um, anyway, that's my like random spiel on quarterbacks uh, based I, on the Twitter comments that I get. No, you, you're actually not allowed to change your mind. Yeah. Your information. <laughs> you yeah. change your mind. You have to stand steadfast in your opinions no matter what. That's what true sports means. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Steven still thinks uh, Josh Allen is terrible and Patrick Mahomes will never be good. So <laughs> these are hard. I, hard what, what I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to deny that first part. The yeah. second part, I, <laughs> the second part, I've taken my L on Patrick Mahomes. I'm not really taking my L on Josh Allen. But one thing I found interesting when looking at not only your article, but I think Josh Hermsmeyer wrote about I don't know what he called the stat: Def- defenders in the box over expected. Yeah. Are we are we calling that DBOE? I guess so. <laughs> okay. I noticed that Kansas City was like at the bottom of the list and like the bottom of the list means they stack the box more than other teams, but then they're ninth in I think it's pass rate over expectation. And I'm wondering uh did you look at Josh's data or whatever data he looked at when you put this together and I'm wondering what what was the reasoning for that discrepancy? 
Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I think, you know, I really focused on the Tampa versus Green Bay matchup in the article and like the DBOE numbers in there kind of followed what you would expect with, you know, Tampa really stacking the box and Green Bay really not. So I was like, okay, well, this kind of, you know, is evidence that makes sense with kind of the broader point that I'm making, but it's, it's not super consistent. Like there are, you know, teams that maybe stack the box, but still get run on a lot and, and vice versa. So it's interesting. I just feel like we need more defensive stats like that to get a fuller picture of like what teams are doing and what, sort of matters for opposing offenses. I I think right now we're just like, we're looking at such like a a broad and macro level and trying to figure out what's going on. And it's just like, there's so much digging in that needs to be done. So I do have a theory on it. I think it's because they play a lot of like defensive backs. I think they're, they play dime as much as any other team in the league. So maybe they're getting the best of both worlds. I don't know if that's how you look at it, where they're getting, they're not, you know, playing these lighter boxes but they are incentivizing teams to run more which we know is is not as efficient as passing mm-hmm. and they're and they're still able to to defend the pass because they have defensive backs out there i don't know if that's the case but that's that's my prior and i'm sticking it to it i'm <laughs> like i'm not changing my priors based on evidence like the rest of you nerds <laughs> sounds good all right let's just all believe that forever <laughs> Uh, how uh, you mentioned that uh, you are a commoner now, and uh, you're, you're looking at just the same information that the rest of us have. How big is the gulf between what uh, teams have, the the data they have to work with, and what the rest of us can find on the internet? Yeah, I mean, it is pretty big. You know, I like I think there's like data sets that are sort of known by the public that maybe, you know, we don't sort of fully know or have access to things like um, PFF and tracking data, for example. I think people know that those data sets exist, but um, really it's like it adds a lot to just like standard play-by-play to know, for example, like everyone else who's on the field in every play, right? Like that's something that like would really um, add a lot to, uh, you know, public analytics, if, if everyone had access to that and could build models and stats off of that. Um, but it's just not really something that everyone has access to. And, and you know, tracking data, I think, is, is amazing for trying to evaluate the defensive side of the ball, where I think, like I said before, I think you need to, like, get more granular than, than what's available in play-by-play. Um, and then this is where stuff like the Big Data Bowl is great. Um, and, and so that's where, you know, I think data access is really kind of the biggest part of the equation, because I'm sure like if everyone had access to all of the data, we would see, you know, more cool stuff coming out of the public. Um, but yeah, I think as of now, we are sort of limited to like um, criticizing fourth down decisions <laughs> because right. we have data for it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's just kind of my honest uh, lay of the land there. I, I will say that, like, everything that I used to work on, I, I couldn't do now because I don't, you know, have the, the data. So I just, like, wrote an article about something I never usually look at because, again, of those limitations. So I'm glad you guys liked it because <laughs> I don't usually do stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember the first time I realized like the gulf because I I, remember, I was about to go to uh to Sloan back in 2018. I had a presentation there, and uh, 
you know, like I like I feel like the the stuff that we have access to on the internet is not. I don't think it's that hard to get a grasp of, like the EPA fourth down decisions, like the, all the stuff that get, that we kind of get stuck on. Uh, I mean, like, I don't think any of those conversations are like difficult to to comprehend. But I remember one time at, when I was at Sloan, I just walked into some room and sat in on a presentation on like some tracking data, mixing with like I, I like I couldn't even tell you like what was going on. <laughs> I, I was completely lost. Now it's like, oh, okay. Uh, so the conversations that we have on Twitter with our data are definitely, uh, I, I guess, small compared to what NFL teams have in their arsenal. I just knew like two seconds and I was like, all right, this is not for me. I'm going to stick with I know and uh, we'll, we'll keep this thing moving. But I, I, find, like, I find personally that we just kind of keep spinning the same circles with what the data we have, you know, especially like what we talk on Twitter. And I feel like we're not getting to have these conversations that kind of advance our, our knowledge of the game further. Because I, I, not that not that we've done everything that we can do with the data that we have, but it just seems like we kind of get stuck on the same talk over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I mean, I do agree with that. And that's honestly why I wrote one article this year, because I felt really strongly. I was like, you know, I don't just want to rehash the same talking points that I see every single day. Like, what is something that I could write about that is genuinely new, but also like completely analyzable with public data? And it took me months to figure out what that was. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely sympathize with that. And I guess, you know, again, this is where I feel like I, I'm so bad at like selling myself because like the line I should be feeding you guys is that like analysts who work for NFL teams are just so much smarter, smarter. Um, but I'm just saying, no, I think public analysts could do, you know, more cool stuff if they had more data. So I'm just like being terrible at like proving my worth, which sucks. But um, yeah, it's hard now. Like I said, I think, you know, the the limitations are, are pretty obvious, but again, this is where like, I find stuff like the big data bowl really exciting. And I'm really glad that the NFL and Mike Lopez, you know, put that together where, you know, genuinely there, everyone can access a lot of tracking data to sort of build new and interesting models. And, you know, there's no, like anyone can enter as long as you like create a Kaggle account and, and you just get to work with this data. And then even if you don't like submit something, I think it's a really positive experience for a lot of people to kind of understand what that data is like, because it is the future of so many leagues. So, you know, that's kind of my optimist take on everything, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to be, I think a public analyst and football more so than other sports. I feel like, you know, in the other sport I work in hockey, like the, the full play-by-play data that public analysts get is more robust, has more details than like the equivalent in football. We should, uh, and I'm talking about the people on the podcast, not Namita. She's too smart for this. We should get together and do our own big data bowl project <laughs> with like a TI-83. Is that still like the standard for calculator technology? Like I haven't been in high school in so long, so I don't know. My big datable project would be going up Madden and calling twelve personnel play action passes every single play. I mean, based on all what we know about twelve personnel packages, it should be able to score like a hundred points. That's a, that's a good point. It turned Baker Mayfield into a great quarterback this year. You would beat Steven for sure. Uh, I beat him last time he played. Oh, anyway, wow. okay, I, I, I falconed hard in the last game. I don't know if you watched Chris, but I gave up thirty three points in a five minute third. <laughs> That's terrible, man. Okay, so back to the Super Bowl. I'm assuming that you expect the Chiefs to win. 
I do expect the Chiefs to win. <laughs> now, what if the Bucks had Jameis Winston instead of Tom Brady? How would that change your <laughs> prediction? Oh, then the Bucks would win, obviously. <laughs> I agree. See, we're on the same page. And I got another way for you to sell yourself. How many Super Bowls have the Eagles won when you were not employed by them? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> and how many did they win while you were employed by them? One. See, that's analytics for you. That is analytics. You can't fight that. That should be your big data bowl project. <laughs> it's definitely going to come up in any contract negotiation I have <laughs> from this day forward. Um, and then, like, the follow-up question of, like, oh, what did you actually do for the Super Bowl? I'm just going to be like, let's talk about something else. I, I <laughs> you coach Nick Foles. <laughs> <laughs> just, just claim the Philly Specials your idea. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. <laughs> All right, let me I have a question for you. What? What after you've like looked over, you know, the data that you have looked at, like what avenues do you think Tampa Bay has to actually win this game? Because I feel like it's going to be pretty tough for them, even though Tom Brady and his pillow filled with three leaf clovers, I used to <laughs> somehow managed to play the first Super Bowl uh, in his home stadium. I mean. I well okay so it's a good point you know it is in Tampa so they could probably do some sort of kidnapping of Patrick Mahomes <laughs> right well, you know yeah. so I'm just trying to think of like ways that they could win yeah there's no, a lot of weird stuff that happens in Florida right I'm, like, I'm sure you, you could find a guy with a, a crowbar is all I'm saying <laughs> in Tampa in Tampa Bay and, and nothing to lose <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, this, is, this is where, like, I really don't know how you beat the Chiefs right now. And it, it's not even specific to Tampa. It's just like anyone. Like, I don't know. Like, why is the only person who can beat the Chiefs right now? Like Derek Carr. Like, nothing makes sense. I don't know. Uh, Derek Carr. Uh, he's very religious. And through the power of God, all things are possible. <laughs> Very easy explanation. God I made the Chiefs take a lot of penalties, actually. <laughs> What's the EPA on, on God? That's, that's... <laughs> uh, I think we've gone off the rails now. Yeah, yeah. completely. Yeah. How, how good is Mahomes, like, uh, when you look, like, does he break models? Is he just, like, so far above other players uh, when, when you think about him? Oh, that's that's a really fun question, because I think when you look at like PA for play, like he's definitely up there, you know, however you slice it, just because obviously the Chiefs offense is like so prolifically productive. Um, One model he does kind of break, I think, is like completion percentage over expected. Right. Uh, I think he had negative this year. Right. Right. Because like, you know, whether it's just like. Andy Reid running an amazing offense or like him like throwing guys open it just makes it seem like all of the passes he throws are like pretty easy but it I think it's you know very clear to see like he's the one who's making it easy and it would not be easy for another quarterback so that's definitely you know one model that he does break and and that's where maybe I would say okay shove all the nerds in a locker like (laughs) Patrick Mahomes is definitely the best so don't don't look at this (laughs) yeah I think I've heard like film people say that like he's not good at that one particular stat because he makes throws that other quarterbacks aren't even gonna attempt to make like a guy might be wide open but he's 50 yards across the other side of the field and he's throwing a, like a no look pass going against his momentum. <laughs> and he like, just, he makes those throws and it, it, it makes sense for him to attempt them. Whereas like Jared Goff should not be making those throws. 
Yeah, exactly. So this is where, you know, and, and like CPOE, I think is, is interesting for other quarterbacks that are maybe not on the level that Mahomes is because no one is on that level. But um, yeah, that's where it's just like, that's where, again, it's like, you have to look at everything because if you looked at EPA per play, I think you would see a, a story that you're definitely expecting more. Um, CPOE is maybe interesting, you know, for, for players who might, uh, change teams or something like that, which maybe, you know, the, the golf Stafford thing, we'll see, you know, how that changes. Um, but yeah. All right. One last question. Would you have advised the Kraken to trade two first round picks for Matthew Stafford? <laughs> well, I, I'm a big draft draft girl. So I would say no, because I, I love to keep and use first round picks. Um, but I guess like we'll see what Stafford does. This is it, it's such a funny trade for me because it's like such a blockbuster, but also I don't care that much about either quarterback. <laughs> right. So I'm just like, all right, whatever. We'll see what happens. Right. The, the thing with Stafford that is so amazing to me is like no one has a firm grasp on how good he is, and it's not like this is someone who just you know popped into the league a couple years ago. Like he was drafted one year after Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco. He was drafted one year before Sam Bradford. Like this is a dude who has been in the league for a long time. And just because he plays for the Lions, everyone's like, I think that's good. I think he's still good. But I'm not tuning in the Lions game to find out. So just, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if Paul Stafford has left in the tank. But I, I think I like it on paper. But again, I'm not going to sit here and rewatch Detroit Lions film to figure out. <laughs> well, you won't have to anymore because I don't think they're going to win a lot of games with Jerry Goff at quarterback. That's, that's my take on the trade. I – what I find interesting is like when a trade like this happens, I would be excited as a nerd. I'd be like, oh, we get to see this quarterback who struggled in adverse situations go to this situation that everyone agrees is a perfect offense for a quarterback and see how, you know, that changes his production. Instead, we're like, oh, they're stupid for trading two first round picks for Matthew Stafford. I don't know. I don't get it. I, I don't know. I'm excited to see what happens with Stafford. I'm not so excited to see what happens with golf because think it's going to be pretty sad oh i agree you know what honestly the, the perfect thing for analytics would be like if every quarterback changed teams every year like there was just some sort of rotational system where we could see like oh okay you're good no matter what system you play in or oh okay like your coach was doing most of the work here like that would be ideal so i think if we could just maybe start a petition or something um maybe get that rolling Speaking of that, like, what would be the funniest quarterback offensive situation matchup? I'm trying to think of one. I think Drew Brees on the Patriots team this past year would have been hilarious. Oh, man. Disaster. That would have been the best one. Maybe Jameis with the Chiefs. That would have been good. That would have been fun for sure. I would have paid, I would pay to see that. That would have been so chaotic. I mean, I have one question. Uh, I, Steven said final question like three questions ago, so I'm just going to keep going. Uh, how are we going to be talking about football in like five to ten years? You know, it's so different now. We're talking about CPOE and, and EPA. What sort of things do you think will will arise in that time and how will we have a better understanding of the game uh, from a public standpoint? Like the the average fan, how much more will they know and understand? I mean, I, I think I hope that, um, especially for 
positions where like box score stats are like not so great, like, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I keep talking about it with tracking data and stuff like that. Like if we can get to a place like where everyone is like more consistently evaluating D linemen, like not just with sacks, but like with sort of more advanced, you know, general pressure based metrics, like I think that would be really cool, you know, and again, this is just I think part partly informed by me kind of working more on the side of like evaluating pro and college personnel. Um, but I, I think it would be really great if we just had better stats for all of that and for all positions. So we don't just have to spend every day, you know, arguing about which quarterbacks are good, although I'm definitely committed to doing that. <laughs> uh, I, I think that would be a, a really positive uh, and, and new and good move for, for football analytics discourse. All right. You guys got anything else? No, I'm Any done. last last questions? All right. Well, Namita, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, people can find you on Twitter at, at NN Stats, right? That's right. Remembering that correctly. Uh, definitely follow her there. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And hopefully we'll talk to you again. No problem. This was fun. All right, that was really, really good stuff. Uh, I know you guys are proud of me that I didn't ask any hockey questions because I, I really wanted to dig in on some like expansion draft strategy. But yeah, this is a podcast about sports. We don't talk about hobbies. Wow! 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 <laughs> Sorry, Man. I'm just not a hockey guy. Although I do enjoy the video games. They're they're fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I don't even know where. Don't even know where to go from here. Next gen stats. Next gen stats. Uh, transition. <laughs> yeah. It's a next gen transition. Uh, how? Uh, what do we know? Like what level of? I'm so fascinated now by this idea that we brought up with Namita of the public stats versus what teams use, and like she was so open to like, oh man, I want those stats out there, and you like. I think one thing that teams are probably safeguarding is like, we want to have the best stats. We want to like, we want to get a leg up by having particular ones that aren't public. We want to figure that out. Uh, So it's like an interesting debate, Um, but it has been democratized so much. Like there's, there's so much more that's available, but I really hope that we'll continue to get access to these things over the years um, and that we sort of move forward. and, And that's, you know, Keegan's about to tell us about this, but uh, the amount of information that they give out to their to the broadcast teams and and the level of detail is amazing. I mean, it's just uh, awe inspiring, really, that they that they get to this level and and can figure the game out. Um, so it's really exciting for people like us who talk about the games. Um, so let's bring in Keegan and have this discussion with him. All right, now we're going to bring in Keegan Abdu, uh, Next Gen Stats Analyst of the NFL Network. Keegan, what's up, man? How are you? Not much. Just in uh, snowy New Jersey right now. Yeah. Have you, are you, have you shoveled yet? Are you going to shovel? Yeah, that's, that's after this call. I'm, I'm delaying that right now. I like it. Priority for us. Use, uh, use 12P play action. It will make shoveling a lot easier. Yeah, it will be a lot more efficient. <laughs> It's emotion right here. I mean, it's going to be absolutely brutal going out when it's colder and darker outside. So we appreciate you putting us uh, in your own. <laughs> yeah, it, it won't be too bad. But 
It'll be, yeah, I'm quite, it's going to be a lot over the next two days for sure. Questioning your analytical decision making. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see how these how this discussion goes. You got to win us back. Uh, so, tell tell the people exactly sort of what you do day to day. What sort of stuff you're looking at, uh, and what you've been thinking about as we inch toward Super Bowl Fifty Five uh, at the end of the week. Yeah, so uh, I work in the next-gen stats department as an analyst, and our main priority is to uh, support the broadcast teams that we work with. So I'm sure most people have seen the uh, the commercials for sure, but we also do a lot of in-game segments that I hope you guys notice. Um, but we deliver them packets uh, of research anywhere from like six to ten pages. Obviously, for the Super Bowl, it's a little bit more in-depth. Um and we just try and give them as much, you know, research up on matchups, on trends with these players, like where where these players really stand out, where they win, um, so they can kind of use that to inform their broadcast and, you know, build out these in-game segments. Um, that's our main priority. We do a lot of stuff, uh, you know, building out dashboards for, you know, our users at NFL Network, at ESPN, at our other partners um, for all our dashboards, uh, and do some other cool stuff. We like building out new stats, um, which is always fun when you make a breakthrough there. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what we've been doing. Um, and yeah, I've just kind of been absorbed in creating this uh, week's packet and all the content we're trying to get out on social media. Uh, me and my coworker, Mike Band, are writing an article um, about some narrative myth busting um, that's going to be going out later this week. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what we've been up to the past few weeks. The uh, Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the narrative myth busting one. I, I love when Stephen finds uh, those tidbits to do that. One of the narratives that we have been following since the summer was Tom Brady trying to figure out uh, Bruce Arians offense and, you know, whether it would be a big leap for him, whether he could, he could make all the throws that he needed to, whether Arians would change it, uh, you know, just sort of centering around that transition. And I'm wondering what the numbers have told you about that, because I think it, you know, the way it was like a little unsteady early in the season. And then Brady, uh, has been obviously good enough to get his team to the Super Bowl, but was not great uh, by any means in the NFC Championship. Uh, so, uh, you know, that feels like one of these narratives that's out there. I think the casual football fan is like, whoa, Tom Brady's back, his 10th Super Bowl. He must be he must be playing insanely well. Uh, and then people like us who are paying closer attention are saying, yeah, he really, really hasn't uh, hasn't picked it up very quickly and, and still uh, showing a lot of the weaknesses he had last year. What do the numbers show you? What, what are you seeing uh, and have the Bucks done anything to make it easier for him? Yeah. So it's definitely been a very up and down season for Brady. Um, I mean, on deep passes, uh, he had a 23 straight incompletion streak at one point through weeks uh, eight through 11. Um, but in week 12, which coincidentally was against the Chiefs, that really served as a turning point from, you know, looking at a lot of trends um, and how Brady played uh, and how the offense just kind of clicked together. Um, I mean, if you just look at his EPA per drop back, it was 
just plus point one um, in weeks one through twelve. But after that game, it it quadrupled to plus zero point four, which is you know best in the NFL. Um, And some of it's definitely been uh, you know the offense kind of making things a little bit easier for him. I guess you can kind of say that uh, they've been used a lot more shifts and motions um, since their bye week in week 13. In fact, uh, six of their seven most uh, shift motion heavy games have come since their bye week um, and they've increased their rate to 55% uh, since then. And it was only 44% before then. Uh, They've aligned also under center a decent amount more, which, you know, leads to a little bit more play action as Brady kind of takes, uh, uses play action on 65% of his dropbacks from under center. So that, that stuff's, you know, helpful for him, but really it's just Brady has just been performing better, um, on deep passes, especially, uh, he's been throwing them a little bit more frequently, but, um, he has three times the pass touchdowns on, 20 fewer attempts and more completions um, in the post bye week period. So just the offense in general is clicking there. He's um, so, yeah. Uh, One thing, one thing I kind of noticed just when watching the film and watching that week 12 game in particular was it wasn't just that they were motioning more and there's different types of motion, like the Rams and the Ravens, I think will use motion in different ways than a team like the bucks use it now. It just seemed like them motioning Chris Godwin across the formation is what I saw the most in the second half of that Chiefs game, and I think they've continued to do that. And it seems to give Brady better pre-snap, pre-snap tells, and I think he's getting rid of the ball faster. I don't know. Is that something that the numbers have picked up on? Is he throwing it in rhythm more often? Uh, yeah, yeah. We define uh, rhythm as 2.5 to 4 seconds, just any getting rid of the ball anytime in there. And we have seen him uh, increase his rate to 59%. Um, after the bye week from uh, 52% before then. Uh, And one thing that I've kind of noticed is if you look at his deep pass rate this season by time to throw, um, it increases uh, like a ton in that kind of 2.5 to three second range, Mm -hmm. which is uh, something our our buddy, uh, our mutual friend, Nate Tice mentioned on the athletic podcast uh, a few weeks ago, just in terms of like, you know, Brady's so experienced with this. It's like when he's hitting the back of his drop, he's just slinging it deep. Um, and that's something that I've seen bear out in the numbers. And then one thing I was really interested in looking at was just Steve Spagnuolo's defense and how he calls plays. And this is totally anecdotal, and I don't know if it's true or, at all or if the numbers back it up, but it seems like to me he throws a lot of stuff at offenses in the first half. And then in the deep, in the second half, it's kind of like more conservative, uh, maybe not as many blitzes, maybe more like too high zone. And maybe that's just the product of being, you know, the defensive coordinator for the best offense in the league. And you, you're usually protecting the league. But is that something that that shows up in the numbers? Yeah, um, he's blitzes slightly more um, overall in the first half, uh, like a 40% blitz rate compared to 38th. But in general, defenses tend to blitz a little bit more in the second half. So he's kind of going against the grain that way. But uh, sending max blitzes, so like that's six or more pass rushers as we define it, um, that's something where you do see a decently substantial increase. So, um, And that could kind of explain – 
sort of why their pressure rate on blitzes is a lot more successful in the first half. They got a 27% um, pressure rate on blitzes in the first half, and that drops to 20.9 in the second half. I mean, a lot of this could just be noise, but, um, you know, at least from what you're seeing, uh, that kind of tends to bear itself out. And then, you know, as you said, him dialing it back, um, I think one idea there is that, you know, if you're playing with a lead, you can your pass rushers kind of don't really need to worry about the run as much and kind of pin their ears back. And you see an increase in their pressure rate in the second half um, just from four-man rushes. Uh, so, I mean, there, there's definitely something there. So I'm a genius is what you're saying. Yeah. Good, good, good to know. It's is Brady good at at going up against disguise coverages because I think that's like the one thing that you saw Spagnolo throw at him in the first game was the, a lot of disguises and Brady looked uncomfortable and it wasn't until they started doing those motions and the formation like the pre snap coverage indicators that Brady really started to look comfortable in that game so I'm wondering if that's like been the case the whole years is, is this something that's messed with Brady um, yeah uh, we don't have that um, ourselves I was able to look it up on PFF um, and he did see a decent decrease in um, yards per attempt at least first disguise uh-huh. coverages but uh, by their grades at least so take with that what you will he's pretty much elite against disguise or no disguise so um, one thing I did see was that he was throwing shorter um, when uh, facing a disguised coverage. Um, so maybe he's just, you know, w- more willing to take a check down when seeing a d- disguised coverage. Uh, don't really know there, but there's is there, is there at least a difference seen, in efficiency. Is there anything have you seen since you started, like, just pouring over this data that, you know, if the, if the Chiefs are going to win this game, they need to do one thing. Like, beyond just having Patrick Mahomes, like, is there anything that the Chiefs need to look out for on the Bucks end to help them secure back-to-back Super Bowl trophies. Yeah, I, I think the key to this game is just going to really be um, how the kind of patchwork Chiefs offensive line mm-hmm. uh, plays against this Bucks defensive line. Um, Todd Bowles is usually a really blitz-heavy uh, coordinator. In fact, he's uh, ranked in the top six of blitz rate in every season is a defensive play caller that we have going back. Uh, so with the Jets um, and then with the Bucks, each of the previous uh, two years or each of the past two years. Um, but he's actually shown a willingness to dial it back when going against Mahomes because Mahomes just dominates the blitz. Like it's, it's not even close uh, in terms of his performance versus the blitz compared to everyone else. And teams blitz him at the lowest rate since he's been a starter because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, or in their weeks, uh, 12 matchup bulls blitzed Mahomes on only 17% of snaps, uh, which was, a, a, you know, the lowest rate he's had as the Bucks defensive coordinator. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really good to rely on, you know, Shaq Barrett going up against Andrew Wiley, which, you know, that's a big mismatch. Uh, the Bucks should hope that bear can, you know, at least cause a few pressures there, maybe get a strip sack. You know, he's, he's been better at that than almost any other player in the week since joining the bucks. They got Vita Vea back. Um, so, you know, Jason Pierre, Paul and Sue, I mean, that's a, I think 
Bulls should just really try and rely on them because, you know, as soon as you blitz, Mahomes is going to take advantage of that and those Chiefs weapons are going to take advantage of that. I regret not asking you this, to, or not asking you to look this up, but do you have numbers on how the Bucks pass rush performs with just the four-man rush compared to with what they do when they're blitzing because they do blitz so much? Um, I don't have those off the top of my head, um, but I do know that – uh, the Bucks Patrick did drop off after the second half of the season, and that uh, kind of overlapped with the Vitave's absence. So uh, I think getting him back is one of the biggest, most important things that could have happened to them this season um, for this game. But um, I can actually get this for you right now. Wow, Ooh, look at this. we got some live next gen stats going on. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh this podcast yeah. is officially powered by amazon web services thank you Jeff. <laughs> for all of <laughs> yeah so the bucks are they're above average uh they, it looks like they had the eighth highest pressure rate oh. sending more or less um and they were a little bit closer to average when sending the blitz so they can definitely get pressure with four and i bet if you just look at when feet of on the field they're going to rank even higher than that um, because he's so important to that that defensive line. Is there one stat when you were putting together, you, you know, the research that like surprised you at all? I know you're like in the weeds with this stuff all season long, so maybe not. But was there anything that jumped out to you when you're looking at this matchup? Um, let's see. One of my uh, one of the more interesting notes I would say was. Um, how much uh, – one of my favorite things to look at was the – you know, how the Chiefs will attack you based on this safety look that uh, you're, they're given. Mm-hmm. So basically it's kind of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, if you give them single high, which is what the uh, Bucks did a lot in the first game, in the first half, Tyree Kill is just going to beat you outside the numbers. Um he has more yards versus single high on uh, 19 fewer targets than versus two high shells. Um, and 66% of those yards have come outside the numbers. And then as you saw last week with the bills, if you go to two high uh, and this also happened in the week 12 game, they kind of switched to two high in the second half. And then Kelsey's just going to beat you underneath. Uh, he's targeted at like a 10% higher rate versus two high shells, just finding those, you know, on settling in those zones and, Mahomes, that connection is just super efficient right there. Um, yeah, my, my theory on that is that when the, when teams go to too high, they're probably going to play some form of zone because if you play two man versus Mahomes, he's just probably going to scramble for 10 yards like he always yeah. does. Yeah. And Kelsey and is just like a monster against zone coverage. You're going to find those holes all day. It, it almost feels like – like, and I feel like we're, we're kind of here with the Chiefs already, but like they, there's just an inevitability about them that feels like, you know, they're going to win this game, and like they cruise through the second half of the season, and it didn't even really matter. But like they have this switch that you just turn on. Now, I just don't know, like where, I, like I struggle to find where the Bucks defense can kind of like patch in stuff uh, to slow that down because I, uh, you know, you put in a note uh, on this packet where. Uh, like even when the when the Bucks and Chiefs play back in you know, week twelve or whenever it was uh, early in the season, 
Uh, even though the, the final score was close, the Chiefs were never really in danger of losing that game. And I'm just trying to figure out the spots where the Bucks can kind of close the gap. And I just don't see it like outside of them just being at home for this game. Like that's the one true advantage that I see for them. Yeah, I, I really think it, the pass rush is going to have to make a big play. Like they're going to have to get a strip sack or force interception or something. Like because I, I just don't see them being able to stop Kansas city on more than a few drives. Um, and then the offense, then their offense kind of has to be perfect otherwise. Uh, so I, you're, you're relying on, you, you got some good players to do it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Barrett has caused more turnovers from pressure than any other player in the league since joining the bucks. Um, but, and you do have both tackles out for the chiefs, but it's just, there's such a just well-oiled machine and, you know, whatever the defense does, they're, they're just going to take something else. You know, mm-hmm. if the defense tries to do, um, play deep and, you know, make sure Mahomes gets rid of the ball underneath, like he's happy to take those check downs and they're just going to move the ball down the field slowly. If, you know, you try to get aggressive, you know, good luck. They're just going <laughs> to the top for a big play and yeah. It's it's tough. Tough to see. <laughs> uh, one thing I've I feel like I've seen. Uh, I'm forgetting where I saw it from, but like the Bucks are running more crossing routes. Yeah. Later in the season, I'm wondering if you have any theories on why that started happening. Is it is it based on the looks they're getting from defenses or? Is that also has that also coincided with Tom Brady's uh, ascension in the last month or so? Yeah, so um, it would make sense based on this. They have seen um, a lot more single high looks, and I know, uh, you know those deep crossers are you know right. most effective against those single high looks. Um, and yeah, basically, I, I did have the note in the packet, but um, they've used they've, their total routes run. Um, 10% of them have been crossing routes in four consecutive games. Uh, and they had zero such of those games from week uh, one through 16. And they're crossing routes uh, with our route recognition system right now. Like a shallow will be classified as a crossing route. And so will like a deep over. Mm-hmm. But um, you can see with the average route depth for uh, the Bucks that you know, a majority of those crossing routes are those deep overs. So I think, you know, hitting Godwin on that, especially um, since he's always aligning in the slot, could be something to look out for. It could be a big play to happen um, in this in this matchup. Are you allowed to give predictions on the game? Um, I mean, I, I could say that I think the Chiefs are going to win, I think. <laughs> I feel like that's a prediction. Roger, Gade- Roger Goodell is going to hit you over the head when you're shoveling. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, it, it's just it's. I mean, the Tom Brady, who knows what he can pull out of his sleeve, and he always seems to find a way. But I, I, I just have a hard time seeing it um, happening in a majority of outcomes. I feel like it's not a prediction when it comes from Keegan. It's like it's a scientific hypothesis based yeah. on data from straight from the brain of Jeff Bezos out of the mouth yeah. of Keegan. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, you're, do you mind us calling you referring to you as a nerd? Do you identify as as a nerd? 
online. Yeah, I guess I guess I identify as a nerd. You went to Vanderbilt, so yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Right, well, uh, let's let's ask a question to Keegan that we asked Amita uh, earlier. Like, what what do you think are the things that we can continue to do with the access that we have to public data? Uh, because you know, Amita said that some of you already knew that the NFL teams have access to way more data than uh, the public does. So, like, what is there anything that public data can do further, or are we kind of maxed here, maxed out here? Um, it's tough with public data because, you know, there's been a lot of exploration, but so much of it is missing, of course, with like, you know, the actual plays, um, play calls at more in depth. Um, I think at least like there's really cool stuff to come out of the big data bowl. Um, that's, you know, semi-public data cause it's only released for a contest, but, um, kind of crowdsourcing those ideas and how we can use the tracking data to better classify things and, you know, look at some aspects of the game, like, you know, how uh, well are defensive backs um, reacting to, you know, cuts, uh, how much are they staying on top of routes? I I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, And then I think also, play sequencing um, could be an area that could be expanded upon a little bit more. And it's hard to do with public data, but at least um, if you could at least get like play action, you know, uh, yeah, it's just tough with, with in the game of football with, without some sort of charting data to kind of look at it a lot deeper. Since you've gotten access to this data and the tracking data, is there anything that is there any priors that you've had to adjust? And is there any? Uh, I don't. It doesn't have to be like as big as running backs don't matter. But is there anything where you kind of you kind of change your mind? Um, I think uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I I started out and like bought in a lot into a lot of the big analytics like running backs don't matter things and I, i've just kind of learned to be humbled a little bit and soften those stances um and kind of just see that we're not getting the full picture and a lot of that is kind of just talking with you know people that know a lot more about football and have a lot more domain knowledge um and just kind of running by ideas by them when i'm looking through the data um just trying to find those blind spots um i, I can't think of a specific uh prior that has been changed though right now it's almost like it's a collaborative effort and everything kind of goes together a little bit (laughs) uh what's your what's your login to pff ultimate (laughs) (laughs) gotta give it you have to be more suave with that steven you gotta like slip it in Oh, don't don't cut that out and isolate that soundbite from Corbin. <laughs> uh, I, I did have a question, and now I forgot it because Corman distracted me. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> on him. Good job, Corman. Yeah, blame it on him. Uh, what was I going to ask? Uh, this is great. This is great podcasting. I don't remember. Someone else take. Radio. Someone else take over. Right now, <laughs> Corman, you have a question. <laughs> Corman. Are you still here? Oh yeah, I'm I'm here. I was waiting for Steve. I thought Steven was gonna f- find his question. No, I'm still I'm still trying to think. It's all I, you. I've, I've met. I've moved on from Matt. I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I mean, I'm just looking through these stats still. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'd be a little overwhelming, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, oh, I got it. I got it. Because I, I've changed my opinion like three times over the past year. Are you? Where are you at on the the uh, coverage versus pass rush debate? Oh man. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, I think that being able to take away a like number one receiver and take away like the first read on a pass can help your pass rush get home. Obviously. I, I just think it's so symbiotic right now. It's, it's hard to really stake your ground. Um, and I think that people saying that we are uh, taking like a really hard stance one way or another. And I know it sounds like a coward here, but uh, I just don't think we have enough information to, uh, really stake out a position there um that I'm, there's there's way too much nuance in your takes Kevin. right yeah i know i know it's gotta be one or the other there's so much reasonableness it's so boring no but i but i think i've like landed in a similar spot like i was when that pff study first came out i was gung-ho i was like yes coverage is, is more yeah important. yeah but then i realized that pff coverage grades are really only at the catch point so yeah and that that was one of the the eye-opening moments and then just like when i was i was working on the pass rush thing this offseason and just talking to smarter people than i am about football and you just kind of realize how much of a benefit it is to have a defensive line that can just dominate on its own without having to blitz and it allows you to, to do extra stuff in coverage that might make your cornerback look better than he is. And maybe PFF sees that that cornerback is performing well because he has an easier job and it shows up in their grades. That's why I think the PFF study wasn't really all that conclusive for me. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. No, I'll let you, I'll let you go, Charles. I, I was the way that I've been kind of thinking about pass rush versus uh, coverage is, you know, I guess we get caught up in, or not we, because I don't, I don't know how to do any math, bro. So I, I guess <laughs> <laughs> what, what people kind of get caught up with is kind of projecting year to year stuff. So I, I guess coverage can be more sticky than it was the uh, opposite. Actually, it was oh, pass rushes yeah. more sticky, but they found that coverage was more impactful. Okay, so yeah, I, I guess like with that, they they just kind of go together and it, it's kind of a lengthy, uh you know boring take but you know we, we've seen defenses that can't rush the passer but have good secondaries get towards we've seen teams that have great pass rushes and terrible uh coverages get towards i mean uh it, it, and, and like you're, you're already starting from the standpoint that defense is you know really variated anyway so maybe they just don't maybe maybe nothing just matters at all <laughs> i think my favorite take on defense um is that, uh, and I forget the exact terminology that uh, Eric Eager at PFF used, but that basically you're only as strong as your weakest link. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just think that rings so true, which is, you know, maybe you want to build a deep defense um, more than anything, but uh, I, I it's just so easy for offenses to, you know, you always do the meme, Stephen, of, Kyle Shanahan microscoping, you know, some random right. linebacker that shouldn't be out there. Uh, but you see it, you can see it with Kevin King in the NFC championship game. Like you're only as good as your weakest link, I think is kind of my biggest takeaway, I guess, for coverage versus pass rush. So if, you know, you have no pass rush, you could 
have the best coverage in the world, like the Lions did, you know, press man heavy team and every quarterback that they face has three and a half seconds in the pocket to, you know, wait until at least one of the receivers gets open. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, they got to work hand in hand and it's hard to, you know, separate, you know, a guy's pass rush stats from the quality of his coverage. And it's hard to se- separate the quality of coverage from pass rush stats. And I think one place that we're really primitive on right now, hopefully the big data bowl um, will bring us some insight here, but just like the ability of what you're doing in coverage when you're not targeted, I still think is a very under um, quantified area. Yeah. How, how, well, how would you go about solving that issue? Like, if you were in charge of fixing that. Like what, what step would you take first to, to kind of fix that data? Man, that, that might be a little bit above my head uh, from a <laughs> modeling standpoint, but um, I think, I think you, you got to use the tracking data for that. Um, just, I have, I have Excel open right now. Give us the formula. People that will, and I guess it makes it easier for your company like Profile Focus. You have a lot of people at your disposal. But I've seen people like Ian Warden, who used to work over at Bleacher Report. He would, like, for all, for basically for all the corners in the league, he would chart like what happens to them, like, even on the balls where they're not being targeted. Which you know seems like a lot of work for one person. But I feel like if you could get that to a group and have that be presented to somebody, that'd be really useful data about what you get like a more full view of what's happening on the field outside of like this isolated event. That might right. be forced because a guy on the opposite side of the field is playing really good coverage. Right. And but, I mean, in order to chart that, knowing like learning about coverages and stuff too, it's, it's so humbling because it's just all fake and so goddamn confusing sometimes. Um, as I'm sure you guys can uh, attest to. Yes. <laughs> but um, just knowing like coverage responsibility is such an important part of that. Um, but at least yeah. with tracking data, you can kind of approximate man and zone and kind of just, you know, see how they own space. I know there's been a lot of work done in, in soccer to that respect. So um, I don't know. We got a long way to go there, but I think that that is kind of will be, end up being the key to understanding, you know, this whole coverage versus pass rush. See, I'm saying we should, we should do a big data bowl project. Us three. On the counter, the counter. You All right, too. you too. Then, I'm not yeah. <laughs> Dude, come on, Charles, you presented at Sloan. Come on, man. I know, but, I, but my my presentation at Sloan was teaching people how to watch film. Yeah, oh. exactly. <laughs> it was, oh. was the antidote. Yeah, he was giving them domain knowledge. Oh man. All right. All right. You got anything else for Keegan, or should we let him go? Yeah, Keegan, you, anything? Anything you didn't get to mention? Any any lingering thoughts? Um, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I hope I did all right. This is my first podcast appearance in a while, but uh, yeah, this was I, fun. I, I thought it was excellent. I don't know about yeah, you guys, I thought, but good, yeah. I, I thought it was like eight EPA. I don't know. It was uh, <laughs> <laughs> great wow. plus two, plus two grade. Plus two grade. It was a bit. It was a, a big time podcast appearance. <laughs> I hope you. I hope you blow it on. I, I think you're going on P, on PFF Seth's podcast, aren't you? Yeah, PFF Seth, and now the newly minted PFF Deontay. I hope it's awful. Yeah, I, I hope I. <laughs> this was just the uh, the warm up. Thanks, guys. <laughs> oh man, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I hope you have a negative insights over expectation. With <laughs> <laughs>
that's, that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> that was for. a good one. I, 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 yeah. I was good. Uh, all right, Keegan, thank, thanks so much, man, for joining us. Really yeah. appreciate you uh, sharing your, your thoughts. I mean, it's really enlightening. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. And uh, hopefully next time uh, I'll be a little bit more polished. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. See you guys. All right. That was really good stuff. Uh, what do you guys think? I mean, anything you heard from these two people who uh, are dram- dramatically smarter than than I am, for sure. Uh, anything change your opinion about this game? I and mean, we've all been pretty set that the Chiefs are, are just level above. But and anything here that you sort of grab onto as you think about this game going forward? Mm, no, <laughs> no people gonna win. That's all I got. I, I was intrigued by Namita's suggestion that the Bucks could do something to Patrick Mahomes, like outside of the the game, and that that is really their only way of winning. I don't know. <laughs> There's a market a market inefficiency that NFL teams haven't attacked yet. Uh, hey, you know, yeah. Uh, I don't. Keegan's right though. I mean, the this Kansas City offensive line is it's troublesome. Right, that's the concern. Is if the Bucks' defensive line, which is very good, right, although I don't know if they have any like Joey or Nick Bosa's on their line, but right. if they can just dominate the game, then I think they'll, that's their path to victory. Otherwise, if their off defensive line doesn't dominate, and I mean like dominate, then I just don't see how the Chiefs lose. Wow, continuing to make this game so anticlimactic. Great. Great, great. Thanks, guys. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to be back Thursday. We will uh, We'll make it exciting, we promise. Uh, and we have a, a full slate of stories scheduled for this week. Uh, Tuesday morning, we'll, we'll have uh, a look at sort of how each team can go about trying to win. Uh, sort of dovetails with what we talked about today, but um, closer look at a couple factors that would have to go right for each team. Um, Charles has an interesting one coming where he's going to pick one player from the other team. So each team gets to pick a player from the other team to add to their roster. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and we'll be you know breaking down prop bets later this week. We'll be looking at the Bucks chiefs game uh, from earlier in the year, sort of a film breakdown. Um you know, so we're going to just dig in. Uh, Steven will do his post where we trace how each team was built, which is always interesting to see, you know, how many of the players came from draft, how many were free agent, uh, you know, sort of ruminate on the team building process as, as we were discussing earlier with the Rams. You know, there are different ways to go about this, uh, how aggressive to be and, and how often you're going to take from the draft and build through there. So, uh, exciting week ahead. Stick with us. Charles is at Forverts. Stevens at the Steven Ruiz. I'm at Chris Corman. Find us on Twitter. There'll be a lot to talk about this week. Uh, anything I missed, you guys? Any closing thoughts? Anything we need to get to? Uh, no. Just release the next gen stats already. In NFL. I'm yeah. with Anita there. Just get like i feel like there was like that same paranoia with the all 22 where they were yeah it's a good point that's held good off point. on releasing it to the public and they finally did and the world didn't blow up and it's football teams are just so overly paranoid i don't get it so, like college teams protect their their film so much and like d- like dudes on twitter just have it i don't understand why they're so protective <laughs> of it. yeah yeah Uh, All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, We'll talk to you on Thursday. Take care. The Counter. 
an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. 